broadcasting from the UNMC College of Nursing. Get ready for RN Huddle, the podcast dedicated to bringing hot topics for and by nurses to the table. Hello there and welcome to RN Huddle. I'm your host, Heidi Keeler, and today we are continuing the conversation between Dr. Joyce Black, a College of Nursing faculty and clinical practice expert, and Catherine Cheadle, practicing attorney in medical malpractice cases. Now, last time we talked about what happens when you are sued, and and we learned that um, anyone can sue. It costs very little to open a lawsuit, but that Actually, proving the allegations is something that is a little bit more complicated, and so that should give us a little bit of relief when we talk about malpractice cases in case we find ourselves in the middle of one. Today, we're going to continue that conversation, and we're going to talk about a clinical issue that is very amenable to legality, and that is pressure injuries. Now, the proper documentation, the proper identification, prevention, and management of these are very complicated, and this is something that, again, is just ripe for uh, legal intervention. So without further ado, let's uh, listen to the conversation about pressure injuries and legality. Hello, this is Katie Cheadle. I am an attorney in Omaha, Nebraska. I am here today with Dr. Joyce Black, a professor at the University of Nebraska College of Nursing, and we are talking today about various nursing issues as they relate to a legal analysis. Uh, One of the things, Joyce, that I deal with on a fairly regular basis are cases um, with allegations regarding pressure ulcers, pressure injuries as now they're known, and it seems to be almost a presumption when I get these cases that because a pressure injury occurred, there must have been negligence. So my question to you is, what's your thought on that? Are pressure injuries always avoidable and so there is negligence or are there some that are defendable? Well, it's a good question because I think what happens is people come into a facility more likely than not with intact skin. they, They come in from home or they come in from some kind of auto accident, but as far as they know, their skin is intact, and then this wound develops that we think is due to pressure. It The problem with pressure injuries is they occur really quickly. They can occur in a matter of hours, but depending on the extensiveness, it may take a year to heal. So what you'd think would heal as quickly as it forms is absolutely not true. That sort of re- initiates the anger each time the patient is seen in the outpatient wound center to get this thing to heal is they're still dealing with this pressure ulcer, pressure injury that started, at least they think, during a hospital stay. So the question of whether they're avoidable or not is really a a big question today because there are a form of pressure injuries called deep tissue pressure injuries that can start before the patient came into the hospital. They can start in the car at the time the patient had the accident when they're not found for a while. They can start while the patient's in the recliner chair at home thinking they're going to get over this case of pneumonia and then finally come in. We certainly know they start when people collapse and are found on the kitchen floor, the garage floor, 
And the problem with these deep tissue pressure injuries is that the skin looks normal when the patient comes in the hospital. They're percolating, if you will, beneath the surface of the skin, and a good 48 hours will lapse from the time the pressure was applied until the skin turns purple. What you're seeing in, in some of these cases is the patient gets admitted in that 48-hour window. So to the nurses, the skin looks fine, and the initial assessment of the skin is fine, and then in a few hours, there's this purple tissue that shows up, and people think, well, the, ho the patient was hospitalized by then, so it must have started in the hospital, when in reality, it started before. So those, to me, are unavoidable as far as the hospital is concerned, because they started before the patient ever came in to the hospital. What about patients that are in surgery? I've had cases before where a patient comes in and is by no means a healthy patient, but they that patient will go to surgery for any number of conditions, and then they will have a pressure ulcer after that surgery that shows up, that is discovered. I have looked at those cases and wondered about the surgical procedure. Can it cause or contribute to cause a, a pressure injury? Yeah, I think so. And what we've seen in a fair number of hospitals is that the, the prediction of a pressure injury during surgery is, is pretty rough. We don't quite know how to get our hands around who's at risk. And so when we look at the big data pools, what we see are a couple of predictors. One is how long the surgery is going to last. And what we're seeing fairly consistently is if the surgery is over three hours or predicted to be over three hours, the patient's at higher risk. If the patient is laying on their face for the surgery, so they're on their stomach, the surgery's on their back or the back of their head, there's not a lot of padding on the front side of your body. It's your shins, your ribs, um, and so those places break down a little easier because they just don't have the padding that you do on the back side of the body. What we like hospitals to do is take a look at the mattress on the operating room table. And, and, you know, to be a little bit supportive of the people in the operating room, operating room tables were not built for comfort. If you've been conscious and you've gotten on an operating room table, you say to yourself, I don't want to lay here very long. And you, you're thankful for anesthesia because the table is hard. But it's, it's really a utility table. It's designed for the surgeon to get close to your body and do the operation. It's not designed like a feather bed. And so because of its design, it probably isn't going to prevent all the pressure injuries that form during surgery. Now, there are some preventive dressings and there are some mattress covers that can be placed on the operating room table or on the patient to reduce the risk. But yeah, we know surgery is a culprit. And Depending on who you ask and what hospital system you look at, sometimes up to 40% of hospital-acquired pressure injuries actually start in the operating room. The question is, how can we change those? How can we change those dynamics? How can we get the operating room staff to be aware of the risk? And then how can we provide additional padding to the patient during the case? Because one of the ways that we prevent pressure injuries in the regular patient up on the nursing unit is we turn them. We get them off of their back. We turn them onto their side. Well, you can't do that during surgery. You, you can't go up to the surgeon and say, you know, back away from the table. I need to turn this patient on their right side for a while. That isn't going to happen. So because we can't reduce the time in the operating room, 
we have to really be careful that we're reducing the intensity of the pressure. And looking at the dressings, looking at the mattresses is one way uh, to do that. But as you say, and some of these patients come in in pretty bad shape, and you know the OR doesn't have time to find all those pieces for the table. They've got to get the operation started. So I think we're a long way from fully understanding how to prevent those in the OR. But in some of your legal cases, not even knowing the facts, I would say there are probably some that are unavoidable based on the story that's going on in that patient. Yeah, it sounds like a work in progress as far as figuring out what to do with respect to those those operating room patients. When I defend these cases and look through the charting, I have to um, defend the care of the nurses or the other staff involved in the patient's care um, as it may affect the development of a pressure injury. And I have to hire an expert uh, because I don't know medicine, I know law. So one of my jobs is to find an expert to defend my nurses to say that what they did met the standard of care and that this pressure injury was unavoidable with the patient that presented to them. It's my understanding you review pressure injury cases. So what kind of documentation um, is ideal for my nurses or my providers to include in the chart to help you when you're reviewing to be able to show that what they did met the standard of care? I really look for three consistent pieces. One is what did the skin look like on admission? And I understand that there are some people who come in who are so critically ill that they cannot be turned over to look at their backside. And so I allow for that in my review. If if the patient is in shock, it's inappropriate to turn them to look at their skin. But if they are coming in for surgery, they're coming in because they're short of breath, and it's something that I can expect the nurse to see the skin within a couple of hours of admission. You know, that's the step number one, because obviously if the patient's coming in and they already have a pressure injury, they couldn't have gotten it in the hospital. So that's number one. Number two is, did the nurses understand where the risk was coming from? And pressure injuries form from pressure. Pressure comes from immobility. So if this is an immobile patient, so going back to our OR discussion, This is a patient in critical care who can't be moved because when they move them, their blood oxygen levels fall or their heart rhythm becomes erratic. Then that risk is really high and there may not be a whole lot that can be done to reduce that risk. So I look at um, the Braden score is the most common one used to estimate risk. And I look to see how accurate it is. I look to see if what was wrong with this patient was addressed by the nurse. So if this is a patient who is incontinent, then did they have a plan to keep the skin clean and dry? If this is a patient who's not moving, did they have a plan to move them side to side? And then the last piece is, you know, how good's their documentation, which I know is a huge part of what you look at is how consistently did they document the care that they provided. And, you know, there's no doubt that patient care is first and charting is second. But at some point in time, you know, during that shift, you do need to record the care that you're giving so that someone looking over your shoulder, be it me as an expert, you as an attorney, you know, the government um, can see the care that was provided. And it's difficult for me um, as an expert to read between the lines and say, well, there was no care provided, no care documented, I should say, for 
six hours. Can I assume in those six hours that care was done, but just didn't get didn't get documented? And that's where I have to turn to you as a lawyer and say, can you fill in that gap? You know, there here's the nurse that didn't chart from midnight till six a.m. Can you talk to that nurse and figure out why there's such a gap? That becomes a problem for me as an expert when there's that big of a gap in the record. So it sounds like you need a baseline when the patient comes in. Where's, where is the skin at? What's the baseline on this skin? And then you need to see the thought process of the nurse. Do they recognize the risk? What are they doing to um, address the risk? If there's some reason they can't do that, why? What, what is preventing them from doing that? Is it reasonable that they can't do it? Is, is what you look at, you know, how reasonable was their care? Is there, a, is there a perfection that they have to do X, Y, and Z? Or is it just a what they did in this situation was, was reasonable under the circumstances? Well, I don't think it's fair for any of us to be held to a standard of perfection. I mean, I I don't think the law requires it. I don't think common sense requires it. So I look at if this is this patient on this day in this hospital with this disease, what what should that nurse have been doing for that patient? And I understand that that nurse has other patients to care for and other competing priorities. But how you know how much of what should have been done was documented? And there are times when I can tell that care was provided even though it wasn't documented because I don't see a bad outcome. So if, you know, if someone says this patient didn't have his heel elevated off the bed, okay, maybe not, but there's no pressure ulcer on the heel. So must have because otherwise there would have been one. So sometimes I can read between the lines and kind of fill in, but I really turn to the attorney at that point and say, you, you've got to speak to that nurse and figure out if she remembers anything about this, that she, he can fill in those pieces because it becomes a problem, you know, for me to try to assume that care was provided even though it wasn't documented. So really the best defense for these nurses is documentation that shows what they did, why they did, their, why they did what they did, and, and their thought processes. Exactly. That's exactly it. Not all pressure injuries are avoidable. It's making the statement very clear through the chart that the care provided was appropriate and the outcome was unpreventable for that patient. Thank you. And we're going to stop the conversation right there as we conclude our discussion on pressure injuries. Are they avoidable? And that is some pretty riveting information right there about what happens when there is a pressure injury that then leads to some sort of legal intervention. Again, this is something that we often will encounter in our practice, and so very, very interesting and um, helpful information, I know at least for me. So that's all we have for today's show at RN Huddle, and thank you for joining us, and we hope to see you next time when we continue our discussion on the legality of nursing. Thank you for listening to RN Huddle. To stay connected, follow us on Twitter and Facebook at UNMC CNE, or check out unmc.edu slash CNE for more program information.